Hello and welcome to Navy Forums podcast for Wednesday the 23rd of March and our Wednesdays are limited. We'll tell you more in a bit. Joining me on this edition, our assistant editor, Steve Withers. This is why Superman works alone. And news editor, Mark Hodgkinson. Let's kick some ice. Right, so we're uh, we're one down. Um, however, uh, looking through Facebook, St- Steve, um, that Hi-Fi show was on at the weekend. You know, the one where everybody takes their own bits of kettle on oh, yes. Scaffold Hall? And guess who was uh, guess who was exhibiting there over the weekend? And in the photographs, guess who's uh, whose exhibit had copious amounts of alcohol being consumed? <laughs> you know, call me cynical. <laughs> we don't believe you, Ed. Ed is pulling a sickie. And moving on swiftly, it's uh, five star review times. And P Welly, that's P Welly, not P Denny's Welly. Uh, informative and witty, five stars. The in betweeners of the podcast world, highly recommended. Splamoni, or possibly Splamone, I don't know how it's actually pronounced. Great way to stay informed of new tech, five stars. And Wazza1 says, it's like going to a tech show and buying up all the latest magazines. But really, I'm just driving and listening. I feel bang up to date with the best of home AV tech. Anthony1507 says, great podcast and plenty of banter. Keep it up, gents. And Chris MUK says, great podcast, five stars, excellent, informative and entertaining. And if you want your name read out, on the AV Forums podcast, all you have to do is go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. It can't be anything less than five stars. Not that we're bribing you or anything like that. Uh, we're up to 67, which is good. Um, the reason we ask you to give us a five-star rating, only if you feel like we deserve it, of course, is to get more people involved in the AV Forums podcast, get it out there, uh, get people uh, interested in the hobby and... Um, Likewise, get more questions coming in, more subjects to talk about, and so on. Um, so please, leave us the ratings. Um, it, it is helpful. Uh, current competitions, Mark's going to tell us all about them. You can still win the Warriors on Blu-ray, and that's open to active members until the 4th of April, 2016. Okay. Any previous competition winners, Mark? No, oh. I'm afraid not, Phil. Not this week. Okay. I'll, I'll just have to hang in there for, for next week and yeah. see if there's any winners next week. The um, week after, won't it? Before we go any further as well, mm. uh, I did mention at the top of the podcast that uh, our Wednesdays are limited, and they are, dear listener. The podcast will only be going out on Wednesdays until the 6th of April. And then after the 6th of April, you actually get the podcast at two days earlier. You'll get the podcast on a Monday. So from uh, Monday the 11th of April, and the podcast has a new home and like I say you get two days earlier and hopefully um, one of the things that we have been finding is that we're talking about stuff that's sometimes a week old um, so hopefully by recording on Friday and uh, putting it out there on the Monday uh, things are a little bit more up to date and it's an easier record day as well so we won't get sickies being pulled on a Friday oh well, hang on mm, that's not going to work a Friday after Thursday Thursday mm, mm, tricky mm might be uh so anyway we'll be uh, we'll be moving to record on a friday and uh as of the 11th of april the podcast will be out on a monday but the easiest way to get the informs podcast is to subscribe and you can do that through itunes uh subscribe to the podcast and it'll automatically download as soon as it appears and you'll never miss another episode okay so let's move on hardware news and um we're going to start with sim 2 now we haven't heard much from sim 2 in a while and tragically um the UK managing director of, of Sim2, uh, Alan Rosa, passed away after last year's Bristol show. In fact, it wasn't very long after last year's Bristol no. show, very sadly. And and he was a great character. He's a, he's a big friend of AV Forums. Um, he helped us out at the Gadget Show. Back in 2012 at the Gadget Show, uh, he put together a fantastic demonstration with the Sim2 Lumis projector, a big sound system, all packed into... What was quite a compact room, we were showing 3D content and so on, and, and Alan and his team run the demos there. And I guess most AV Forums uh, members will know Alan from the Bristol Sound and Vision show. He kind of made that show his own for quite a number of years. He always always demonstrated stuff that, you know, your common man would never be able to afford, but his you know sole purpose was to show you what was capable. Aspire you to bigger, thing, bigger and better things, and uh, he always put together... Some real cutting-edge demos at the time. I mean, I, th- I think it was the first time that anamorphic technology had ever been shown to the UK public. Um, 235 screen with an anamorphic lens that moved in and out in front of the projector. Uh, 3D and triple flash. 3D mm. was first demonstrated in the UK by Alan. So he really was a big, genuine guy who loved AV 
he was always there for you. He was always happy to answer any questions, no matter who you were. Um, he would take the time to go through stuff. And even if he couldn't afford what Sim 2 had to offer, he was a home cinema fan and he was always full of good advice on how to get the best out of the products that, that you could afford. So sadly missed, Alan. And I guess it's really nice, Steve, to see that Sim 2 are releasing two new projectors, but one of them, the, the new high-end projector, is going to be called the Alan Rosa. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think... Alan is synonymous with Sim 2 in this country. I think for a lot of people, his demonstrations in Bristol were their first experience of just what projection can look like, because most people probably experience projection in pubs or in boardrooms or at school or whatever. He showed people what it, what it was capable of. Admittedly, you know, it was a very high-end demonstration, but still, people got their first experience of real projection, home cinema projection at the Bristol show, so that was something he's remembered for. I'll never forget that night when after the um, a gadget show where everyone had gone home and, and the show was closed and we sat in that demo room and he cranked it up so high that we lifted the ceiling off of the entire demo room which was uh, which was quite an achievement and um, yeah he was a great guy so this is a really touching tribute to Alan I think by calling the new projector the well they're calling it the AR1 and the AR stands for Alan Rosa uh, and um, you know it's it's one of their really high-end projectors too so they, they've kind of possibly you know I'd say m- might be since we're reaching the end of Full HD's life cycle to a certain extent. This might be one of the last great full HD projectors that Sim 2 does, and I think it's very fitting that it should bear Alan's name. And, and I think it's, it's a touching tribute. One of the the big things of Sim 2 has always been the lenses, and and of course you pay for glass. Glass is really expensive, which is where the vast majority of the costs actually go when you when you're looking at a Sim 2 uh, projector. Also, the chassis size, um, being able to to have a chassis that size and cooled silently cooled as they are. Um, but it's the glass that you're paying for, and I've always appreciated the fact that with a Sim 2 projector, what you're getting on screen is ultra, ultra sharp. And, you know, a, a lot of the DLP projectors that a lot of people will be uh, familiar with are under 2,000 pounds. So a lot of the time they come with plastic elements in the lenses and so on. The, the actual quality of these things are, are in the glass, and uh, it's always been... Um, Certainly, every time I've seen a sim, it, it's always been the thing that I've noticed is just how nice the optics are and what a big difference good optics make in a projector. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes a huge difference. And you're right, Phil. I mean, the majority of projectors people experience are probably at the lower end of the price scale. They're using plastic lenses or perhaps a combination of glass and plastic in some cases. Um, but when you see a projector that's using really, really high quality all glass lenses, the difference is quite remarkable, and and that's one of the big reasons why why Sim two projectors were quite expensive or are quite expensive. I was lucky enough to review the um, the C three X a few years ago, you know, and it delivered an absolutely stunning picture. Um, and I think people could sometimes forget that uh, you know we, it's easy for us to get caught up in the technology and things move on, and we're talking about things like four K and HDR and all this sort of stuff. But it's it's easy to forget that you can still get an absolutely stonking image out of a full HD projector when it's done well with a really good source like Blu-ray, you know, it can, it can look absolutely amazing. And people need, need to remember that. I think there was always that massive debate when we moved to full HD that, you know, if you had a really, really good 720p projector, you know, it could look stunning and it didn't have to be full HD. And I think that still applies to a certain extent. Now, it's not necessarily about the resolution. It's about the quality of the lenses. It's about the quality of the projector itself. Um, the, you know, the, how, how accurate the colors are. These kind of things really play into it, how, how um, impressive and how, you know, how good an image can be. And Sim 2 deliver stunning images. Um, and I guess they've been a bit quiet of late because they are dependent on Texas Instruments for the DLP chip. And as of yet, there isn't an affordable sort of, you know, home cinema DLP chip that's 4K. And there are 4K chips for the professional market. And I know Sim 2 do make available a 4K projector, but it's basically a professional projector uh, at a ridiculous like £150,000 price point. I mean, that's not really realistic for the majority of people. Um, but still, I see they're still delivering... Um, you know, high quality full HD projectors, and I'm really glad to see that they've, they've done the AR1. I think I think it's a, a great looking projector in terms of its specs, but also I think it's a, a lovely tribute to Alan. Yep, absolutely. And uh, like you say, I mean, I, you know, people sometimes ask me, "What would you rather have, a TV or a projector?" And I, I, I always say projector, and the reason I always say projector is not just the size of the image that you can get, Steve, in a in a, in a good cinema room. Um, there's just something about the projected image. Uh, it's just something that um, it looks a certain way, it comes across a certain way, it's, it's a certain size, and when used in a in a really um, light-controlled room, a good home cinema, with a big sound system to go with this big image, 
I think I think TV struggle, even you know the seventy five inch TV struggles with to give you the same kind of impact. And um, you know we're talking about Sim Two at one end of the market, but one of the things, and it's something that we're going to move on to in a few weeks' time when we get closer to the Euros, is just how affordable projection is now, and how easy it is to set set one up. If you've got a white wall, you know it's not ideal. But if you've got a white wall and you pick up one of these DLP projectors that's under £1,000 and some 3D glasses and so on, you can have an absolutely brilliant experience at home for not a lot of layout. And it's something which can be, uh, you know, put away in the cupboard and, and brought out for big occasions like the Euros or like the Olympics and so on. So that's something we're going to be looking at in a few weeks. And the other flip of the coin is that home cinema projectors, they're not as many manufacturers involved as they used to be. I mean, we used to have Sanyo and Panasonic and a couple others that were, you know, regulars in the home cinema market. I noticed Epson as well haven't really sort of updated their normal LCD line in about two years now. So I think we're, we're seeing with some companies are moving into two-year cycles, but there are those at the forefront like JVC and Sony who are still releasing um, some really good projectors. And recently I've been sitting watching the HW65, which is a new SXRD full HD projector. And like you said and hinted at, that sitting look, looking at a really nice 1080p image on a big screen with a big sound system. Who needs 4K? And, and to be honest with you, I've been pretty much blown away by this uh, this projector's picture quality because it's only £2,800. Yes, the HW40 is a, a bit cheaper, but this has um, obviously been updated a little bit, so it has a slightly better lens layout, slightly more lumens over the outgoing HW55, and uh, it also has 3D on board, active 3D, which is really good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of these things with Sony because I had the uh, VW520 in recently and the 3D sucked on that. And that was an 8,000. Yeah, and they're very iffy when it comes to 3D. Yeah. Sometimes great, sometimes not so great. Uh, I've had some disappointing experiences and some amazing experiences with Sony projectors. It's uh, it's a bit of a lottery sometimes. Yeah, and you know, going into the settings and, and trying to sync the glasses up with the settings and get the settings just right. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. On this one, absolutely perfect and I, I put um, Man of Steel in because I, I, I bought it recently as I said in previous podcasts for about four quid for the 3D version and I thought I'll watch the start of this just to see what the 3D is like and two hours later <laughs> as the credits roll really really nice experience the glasses were not overly dark um, but they had a, a, a good film in there which which with the 3D mode the colours looked fairly accurate, I mean they weren't accurate but it looked fairly accurate, skin tones weren't green or, or anything uh, outrageous, they actually looked like screen, uh, good skin tones and um, it was a thoroughly thoroughly enjoyable experience with that, um, the only downside and when you're at this price point it is a downside is the black levels and um, the Sony is good but uh, lacking in shadow detail which you do find at, at this price point and below shadow detail tends to disappear and you t what you tend to find is that you have large areas of black on screen where on a more expensive uh, step up projector like a JVC X5000 you would see the shadow detail in, and, and so on whereas at this price point you know it's not there but at 2800 I'd be very very happy I'd be happy with the HW40 to be honest with you because set up properly on a big screen in a proper um, back cave um, they are absolutely stonking projectors at the money Oh, HW40 is a staggeringly good value. Uh, you can get it for about 1400 I think, now. And um, it doesn't have the dynamic RS, but I, to be honest, wouldn't use it anyway. And I think it delivers uh, a really, really good picture. I think you don't get the dynamic um You don't get the lens memory either. But otherwise, you're getting pretty much all the performance you're getting out of something like the HW55 or HW65 uh, at, at a really good price. Um, of yeah. course I mean, they... that price point, that's the one to beat. Yeah, of course, the 65, it doesn't have lens memory either. You've got to manually do that, but... Yeah, it's had that same chassis for probably about five or six years now, that HW line. Mm. So it is manual, a manual affair and so on. But saying that, it took all of 30 seconds to go back, put the zoom out and move the lens slightly to fit it onto the scope screen and uh, didn't really have to change the focus at, at all. One thing it did do very well was hold the focus. There was no, um, sometimes on you know less lesser priced machines you do have issues with focusing because you're you're using uh, you know lesser elements within the lenses and sometimes you, you can get in focus at one point mm. in the screen it'll be out of focus slightly out of focus at other points um it was very good uniform uniformly sharp right across um focus wise so like i say it was like 30 seconds to change that i guess it would get annoying if you had to keep doing that all the time but 
if your collection is like mine, most of, most of the movies that I watch is uh, are two, three, five, and when I go back to sixteen by nine, because I've got such a big screen anyway, it's still a big screen area, sixteen nine. So um, I I don't really what I tend to find is that when you have projectors like the HW sixty five, because I don't have masking, black masking at, at the sides for a one eight five or a one seven eight ratio, that you notice more with the blacks. You notice that they're more lacking um, mm. because you haven't got that black edge to the image but yeah really really impressed 2800 pounds i think it is coming to market this one and um again it's another stonking machine from sony um and full hd well vast majority of stuff you're gonna watch even when we get these new players in the next couple of weeks um you're still going to be watching the vast majority of stuff on blu-ray um yeah at full hd and um i haven't seen any reason to spend eight grand on a 4k native projector yet no no not at all um, definitely think you know that you know spending that kind of money, I did definitely wait, see how things you know pan out with everything. Uh, and in the meantime, you know, you've st- I mean, let's not forget that you know Full HD Blu-ray can look absolutely stunning. Um, Kaz just put a review up with a good dinosaur, you know, and he was talking about you know how incredible the image quality was on on that disc, and, and it's still capable of a really amazing picture. So, you know, don't don't you know just because there's new stuff coming down the pipe, just don't don't give up on. Uh, Things like full HD just yet. Uh, still a great performance to be had there, particularly yep. when you go projector. Yeah, totally. And like I say, next few weeks we'll start getting into projectors. They're more budget-end projectors because we've got the Euros coming up and so on. Um, I always like the idea of a street party, you know, and, and I think you can do it nowadays where get a projector out, get shown on the side of the house, have your barbecue mm-hmm. and all the rest of it, watch the football. You know, I think because the prices are dropping on these things and they are becoming, I wouldn't say throwaway, but they're becoming very reasonably priced compared to other uh, bits and pieces of kit that you know you can pick these things up and uh, get some excellent performance from them for very little cash these days so we'll come back to that subject let's move on to some audio arcam avr 850 now to be fair arcam they do make some beautiful stuff i can remember back to some of the uh, some of the older processors uh, home center processors i can't for the life of me remember the model number but I used to drool over that, and I've drooled over quite quite a bit of their kit in the past. They had a few issues with software a number of years ago with the AVR six hundred. Mm. They had some issues with software and so on. But I think they've they're now kind of bounced back, haven't they, Steve? They're they're making a a simpler but more or less uh, bulletproof product these days, and really going for audio quality above all the bells and whistles. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think by their own admission, they had some issues with reliability in the past. Uh, it was partly due to third-party stuff they bought in that let them down, basically. They've therefore taken the approach now of basically developing everything in-house so they can ensure it's reliable. And as you say, Phil, they've also gone for a very stripped-back, simplified approach to their AVRs, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, you know, Some of the AVRs you see now, they, they, there's so many features on them that you must not even know where to start. And you, and you get a front panel covered in buttons, a remote control covered in buttons, a back panel full of connections you're never going to use. And you think, well, do I need all this? What I really want to do is listen to a movie. Um, and AVR, um, and Arcam's approach has been very much to strip all that back. So if you look at the back panel, uh, in terms of video, it's just HDMI. 7 HDMI in, 3 HDMI out, and they all support HDCP 2.2 and HDMI 2.0a. So you've got a bit of future-proofing going on there. That's great. There's no need for composite. There's no need for component. People aren't using that anymore. They've stripped back a lot of the audio stuff too. There's still some analog inputs. There's still uh, coaxial and optical inputs. But they've kept it very simple. Um, and I think that's the right approach. I think a lot of people are put off by AVRs. When you see the back panel and think, oh, my God, what, what's all that about? Front panel, again, very clean, very simple and minimalist. They put, they've brought the uh, volume dial back, which is good, because that was missing on the previous generation, the AVR 750. Brought that back. Very simple um, display. Um, there's a few buttons on the front. The remote control is uh, nice and simple too. One little point about the remote control: if you press a button and say, you know, for the BD input, it then assumes it's controlling the BD player. You have to press the little button that says AMP in order to control the AVR with the remote control again. I didn't realize that at first, and that was very frustrating when I couldn't work out why nothing was working anymore. Well, you you've uh, obviously never owned an Onkyo receiver then because they were always bad for that kind of thing yeah i don't know why they do that it's a strange uh, little quirk but anyway, you know, no 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 it's just the remote oh. control it's nothing to do with anything like that it's just the remote but press the little lamp button again on the remote and it's and it's controlling the remote um it's controlling the avr again so it's just a little quirk once you know it it's fine but when you initially don't realize that and you're going why isn't the volume changing because we never That's... read their uh, owner's manuals do we yeah, it's, it's not just... if I can help it. No. <laughs> <laughs> it 
Anyway, so nice, simple remote control. The uh, menu system is very simple, a little bit too. I mean, it looks a little long in the tooth, very dated, could do with an upgrade there. Um, although the uh, remote app is actually uh, very nice and quite useful. So in that sense, they've gone for a simplified approach. So there's very little of the bells and whistles you find on some of the receivers now. It's all about sound quality for them, and quite rightly so, in my opinion. Uh, now, we mentioned it in last week's podcast, which is that it's only got seven channels of built-in amplification, seven channels of Class G amplification, and their argument was that well, they would struggle to get any more channels in inside the, the chassis and maintain sound quality, and I guess that's fair enough. And also, the, and Ed made the argument last week, and again, I think it's a good point, people can buy this uh, receiver with the intention of running a 7.1 channel system, and then they have the option, should they wish to later, to add overhead channels and do Atmos or DTSX, and that's yeah. fine. And also, Arkham are going to be releasing a four-channel Class G amp to go with this if you want to, to add the extra four but channels actually, for overhead. Actually, if you're talking about just the extra four-channel ceiling channels or height channels, as depending on what you want to call them, um, you know, for, for those reasons, I'm running cheapest chips, uh, JBL Control 1s as my yeah, ceiling speakers. Yeah. You are doing the same too. So there's no need really to go and shell out a massive yeah. amount of money on a power amp, really. Um, you know, just get one that works, basically. You don't have to spend yeah. thousands. Yeah, for the review, Arcam very kindly brought over two, two P49 power amps. I think 300 watts per channel. A little bit too much for the JBLs, really, a little unnecessary. But, I mean, that was just for the purpose of the review they brought them across. So I could do a full 7-channel, sorry, 7.1.4 Class G, um, you know, setup. But um, you're right. You you would just, you could just get some much cheaper amplification for the overheads because you're only going to be using, probably only going to be using smaller speakers anyway. And certainly that's my case for me and for you. Um, the big the big selling point, other than the inclusion, obviously, because I reviewed the AVAR 750 last year, and did point out that it, you know it was it felt a little dated because it was towards the end of its life cycle when we got it in for review, and obviously with things like Dolby Atmos already available and DTS coming, you know you kind of think like it would be nice to have that option. Obviously the AVR 850 addresses that; it has already got Atmos. They will be adding DTSX at some point in the near future. But the really big selling point, and probably the big surprise when it was announced, because it kind of came out of nowhere, is the addition of Dirac Live. Now Dirac Live is a, a rumor correction software. We've experienced it before when I did the review of the um, RS20i, the Datasat processor that had Dirac Live. Obviously, that's like 17, 18 grand. And this is this is certainly, you know, even at 4,000 pounds, I think 4,200 for the AVR850, this is still getting Dirac at, at a much lower price point than in the past. Uh, and it's incredibly sophisticated. I mean, this is a really, really powerful room EQ system, uh, far in excess of what you'd normally find on an AVR. Um, and I, I've been impressed with it before, and was impressed with it again with the uh, with the AVR850. It, it really does work. I mean, I've got a few issues when it comes to the lower frequencies in my room that it totally nailed, and it's something that that you know a lot of um, a lot of sorry, a lot of um, software struggles to deal with. But this one is really sophisticated, very flexible, can do a lot of things. The only thing it doesn't do currently, but apparently this is going to be added in, in the future as well, is it doesn't currently EQ the overhead speakers, so it just does the, the delay and the levels at the moment. Um, but that, that is going to be added at some point in the near future. So, you know, I think very sophisticated. The way it actually works is you actually run the software on your laptop, you connect it to the AVR850, and it runs on the laptop, goes through the whole very intuitive um, process. It's a nicely laid out um, user interface. I really like like it. Go through the whole process. It takes you through it, holds your hand through the whole thing. And at the end, you know, you, you actually could contact um, Dirac in Sweden you actually contact their mainframe computer, which runs all the calculations and then loads it back onto your laptop to then load onto the AVR850. So, I mean, they're actually using a full mainframe to do the calculations back in Sweden, which is which is quite impressive. Um, and now, obviously, I was doing this myself because from the point of view of, of the review, I wanted to actually get to you know, grips with the Dirac and see how it works and everything else. If you buy an AVR850, generally what um, Arkham recommend is that their dealer installs it, sets it up for you, and they'll be using a high-quality um, calibrated mic. I mean, there is a microphone in the um, in with the receiver itself, but it's not as good as, as you could get. So they'll come around with them. I, I was using, again, Arkham gave me um, an XTZ calibrated mic to use for the setup. You know, and that's a lot, much higher quality than the one that comes with the actual receiver. But, uh, yeah, very impressive uh, in terms of um, room correction, a really impressive um receiver class G amplification sounds great plenty of headroom really dynamic 
Uh, I was very impressed with it. I thought it was a great sounding receiver. And if, you, if you've got £4,200 and you're thinking of upgrading or looking at moving to Atmos and DTSX, perhaps, then it's just certainly been a shortlist. Yep, cool. It looks like a, a really nice a really nice product there. So, um, and like you say, I mean, it's, it's not limited in any way, really, when you think about it. And uh, I guess the only other route that they could have taken was was to do a processor power amp combination but then if you did that it'd be far more expensive anyway so um so yeah it looks like a a, a really decent product mm, absolutely right let's move on mark hasn't spoken yet but he's going to speak now because sky are doing something that sky have never done so they're obviously um worried about their cash flow it's nothing to do with bt this you know nothing <laughs> at all uh, yeah uh, they launched uh well sorry they they're going to launch a free sports channel called Sky Sports Mix, which will be available to all its customers in the UK and Ireland, and as the free would imply, at no extra cost. So you will get a selection of live events, including La Liga, the MLS, which is the American Football League, uh, some FIFA World Cup 2018. American, American or, Soccer League, you should say, because American Major football is a, com- yeah, it's a completely different thing, football over there. Yes. With helmets and shoulder pads and all sorts. Ah. Uh, and then you do, which which slightly surprised me, you're going to get a limited, or sorry, a select, I'll use their wording, a select number of Premier League and Football League matches too. I think we can assume there won't be very many of those. Well, it'll, be, could, it'll be Norwich, Bournemouth. And, yeah, uh, it might yeah. just be the, fir- like the first 10 minutes and then uh, <laughs> subscribe to Sky <laughs> or come up, <laughs> subscribe to Sky Sports or flash up on your screen or something. But um, yeah, it's obviously a little bit of a taster channel. Um, it's, so it's probably part advert. You can pass it off as a nice bit, of, nice bit of PR, I guess. You're giving stuff away to your customers, but BT are already doing that if you're a broadband customer. So yeah, it's it's you can't knock it, although I've just have. Um, and yeah, it's coming sometime in the summer. Yeah, it'd be better if if you signed up for their broadband, you got Sky Sports for free. You know, like how you get BT Sports and Eurosport and all that, HD and all that kind of thing for free on BT. It's it's max of of that. It's a concession. It's a concession. I think they've they've had to make because they can obviously see customers hightailing it over to to BT with their uh, broadband deals, and they feel they've got to give something away. You know, just to hang on to a few. I expect in reality, it's gonna it's not gonna be that great a great a package um, for real sports <laughs> no, fans. For real case. sports fans, it's, yeah. it's obviously not gonna be the no. the full Monty. But no. and it's better than nothing, I suppose. Yeah. It'd be nice to see the. Uh, them bring the uh, the subscription prices down. That would be, be, be nice. Better, yes. Yeah. I don't know how, how much is it to subscribe to Sky Sports. Is it like thirty pounds a month? Then ten pounds for HD. So you're looking at forty pounds a month. Then pay per views on top and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if yes, you, it, if you it were would look be nice at ticket price, if you were look at ticket prices, though, you know, to go to games and all the rest of it, then it kind of makes sense. You know, if if you support a team and and their games are on there quite frequently. Um, it kind of makes sense to spend that type of money, doesn't it? Um, but when you when you support a, a, a lowly Scottish Championship team who are never on the TV, it doesn't really make much sense to me to spend that much money. No, it's, yeah, it's no, a lot I'm of money. Bothered about sports, so. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of these things. I mean, I got BT Sports, but the thing with um, the Premiership game on there, it's always like uh, twelve forty-five on a Saturday. And by the time I remember it's on at 12.45 on a Saturday, it's usually, it's usually well into the second half. Or... To be fair, that's quite well timed for me. I normally get to watch that one. But um, everyone's out, I get swimming, so it's, that's, my, that's my football time of the week. <laughs> treat for you? It's my little treat, yeah. yeah. Everyone out. I've got to say, though, since I got rid of Sky, and I'm just speaking personally here, I'm not having a go at Sky in any way whatsoever, but since I got rid of it, I'm more than happy with Gary on a Saturday night and uh, much of the day two on a Sunday night. Yeah, to catch well, up I actually on, on find that nice, a nice digestible way of taking, you know, watching the highlights of all the games. It's a good show. I mean, if you don't want to, see, maybe if you know, obviously, if you're really into it and you want to watch the whole game and everything, it's fine. I mean, you can do that. But if you just want to get a quick catch up and watch the highlights, it, it's a great way of doing it on a Saturday. Yeah, evening. I've got to say, I don't miss the live games on a Sunday and stuff. Like um, and you know, what I used to find myself doing was I'd be stuck to the sofa on a Sunday, you know, from lunchtime to through to six o'clock at night if I watched all the games that were on. Um, yeah. You know, that's your Sunday afternoon gone, and I just—it's a big investment of time, isn't it? I yeah. mean, Ninety minutes plus, you know, all the rest of it goes on. You're looking at a couple of hours per game. I um, mean, you know, there's just too much to watch as it is without committing two or four or six hours on a yeah, day yeah. to watch some football matches. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, actually, I, I'm quite happy to commit two hours <laughs> a day to watching football. It wasn't ever possible, but you know, we're all different. <laughs> I used to do it, Mark. I used to do it, and and nowadays I just 
I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I fell out of love with football. Like like a number of people have over the years. It's all just, the money knocking about and exactly. Sky, obviously. Yeah. Um, it's and and it's just gonna it's there. gonna get worse from next year because you know the big money comes in. Uh, yeah. As if it season. wasn't big enough already. The, yeah. What's this coming from? Even more money. Yeah, five billion over five three years. Five billion over it's three years for Christ. TV. Yeah. So I mean, it's just it's just getting ridiculous now. But uh, you also have to look at the league and think um, until this year, it was dominated by the big four. But because there's so much money sloshing around now. Um, you got the likes of Leicester at the top of the top yeah. of the league. Well, yeah, you're right. Um, it's completely changing things. Every every team now can have two or three really really good players who can change a game. And you get the right the right atmosphere. It's not a football podcast, is it? <laughs> but the right atmosphere around the club and and what have you. The right coach and you can you can go places now. There's, everyone's got the money to do it. It's a bit more. Um, What's the word? Democratic. Yeah, I guess. Democratic. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I think Leicester's success this season has, has been the best thing to happen to the Premiership in years. Yeah. Yeah. But then you got to look at the other end of the table, and and if you fall out of the Premier League, especially this year, and I'm looking at the likes of Sunderland and Newcastle, you know how big a dent is that for your finances? That has to be tens of millions that you're losing every mm. year. Oh, yeah. Isn't there a sort of say? Don't they get some sort of payments to, to make make it slightly easier? Well, you get you get a uh, you get parachute payment. Parachute yeah, payment. Yeah. Parachute but it's, it's peanuts compared to to what you get for being in the Premier League. I think it's a minimum of 130 million per team next year, which makes even the bottom club richer than everyone else. Bar you know the really big teams in Europe. Yeah, and and the sad thing is that that money's not flowing down. It kind of stops. Yeah, it doesn't even flow into this country half the time. <laughs> I was watching actually the day on Saturday night and. Every single player practically was a foreigner, and all the managers are foreign now as well. It's like I barely saw an English voice apart from the commentary team uh, in the whole program. And you're thinking, <laughs> I wonder what national team's buggered. Well, actually, but the, about- the irony of it is well, I guess the, it's not really that ironic, but um, who are making money out of this uh, in, in terms of English people are the commentators and the pundits. Cause yeah, you, they're if, doing really well. If you ever happen to watch any um, world sports channels, if you just manage to catch those somehow, um, you'll find out that the commentators and all the pundits all work for the likes of NBC and all the foreign channels because the Premier League's syndicated to an awful lot of um, channels yeah. around the world and they all they all work very hard. They must be coining it in on the back of the Premier League. Uh, talking about uh, commentators, I actually found myself on... Uh, on, on Saturday night there, um, watching BBC Alba oh, really? for the uh, for live live coverage of Hibs v Wraith Rovers. <laughs> That's how low my football life has has become. Yeah. Is it Scottish uh, Championship? Did they do it in Gaelic? Or was it oh yeah, it's, it's it's Gaelic commentators. So oh. uh, <laughs> still it's still better than watching Sky and the pundits on. Better than my fucking at him. Yeah, <laughs> chipping in. Speaking of someone who's not so eloquent. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's an experience, but you know. Like I say, I've fallen out of love a bit, and and we're way off subject. So let's get back on subject. Well, kinda. Um, virtual reality. A lot of pundits are saying that this is going to be the next big thing. Um, that should prepare for um, living in a virtual reality, and films are going to be shot in virtual reality. There's uh, Sky have announced that they're going to have a virtual reality studio. Whatever that means, Mark, you can maybe fill us in on this one. But um, I'm going to come back to why I think this is going to fail, but. Tell us all about what's happening at the minute. Well, Sky, as you say, um, same day they announced the free sports channel, said they're committing to virtual reality, at least in in some way, with the opening of their uh, Sky VR studio. Uh, they've been they actually did their first broadcast, uh, not broadcast, broadcast is the wrong word, isn't it? Their first uh, content over the weekend, which was the Formula One testing in Barcelona, um, and later in the year they're going to be tackling other subjects other than sports so drama and nature documentaries and, and all the rest of it uh, the stuff will be available via the oculus pl- platform presumably through samsung and lg's sites uh, through facebook virtual virtual reality um so yeah they're, they're yet another big organization that are, are backing vr um obviously you're not going to be able to watch it through your skybox i don't want people putting, putting a skybox on their head thinking you're be able to see virtual reality um Movies will be, will be another thing. They're, they're going, they recently did a an event from the Force Awakens um, red carpet event. I can't imagine that was that, that exciting. Um, but like you say, yeah, there's uh, it's it is the next big thing, other than 4K and HDR, um, and it seems to be the successor to 3D. Well, it is 3D in, in a lot of ways, of course. Um, so let's just see how this one flows. If people didn't like putting glasses on at home, then how are they going to feel putting a helmet on? Are the um, talking about helmets? Are the adult? Um, uh, You've got to think <laughs> that will happen for sure. Yeah, well, any anything where 
POV is your point of view is used as as a you know a creative medium, and I guess that is pornography uh, to a certain degree. Also, some gaming um, is an obvious example. Anywhere where there's a POV angle, that kind of headset virtual reality approach is going to be interesting to to look at. But I, I can't see it really working in any kind of you know normal um, normal narrative film structure. We see no, that it, it's perfectly made for the adult industry, and this is why I think VR is going to fail. It's not a social event. It's not something you're going to do with your mates. It's not something you're going to do with the family because um, you basically have to wear this, at the moment, this headset. And it's a very personal thing. And that's why I don't think... I think it'll be a niche because that, that, there's always people who are interested in this kind of thing and it's been around for a while now. So it will exist as a niche. But I think you'll see... A big rush at the minute because there's money to spend in promoting it and advertising it and all the rest of it. So you'll see a big rush of lots of coverage in the press, lots of coverage across the internet, lots of promotional stuff going on and so on. But once that money dries up and the public doesn't get involved because they didn't get involved with 3D and, you know, this is even less friendly in terms of um, uh, being a social activity than, than 3D is, I think it's going to fail. And I mean, also, the entry, the entry price is quite quite steep as well now. I mean, I don't know much Oculus is, but um, Sony announced their, their uh, VR headset for the PlayStation 4 last week as well, didn't they? And that was that's 400 quid before you've even started buying any of the games, and that's that is some investment. You know? now, yeah, the, I mean, but, but then I, you see, as as a game, sorry, Steve, uh, but you see, as as a gaming technology, again, maybe this will succeed because in terms of social gaming, you tend to do that online, don't you? It's a multi Multi multiplayer online experiences and that kind of thing, it might work in that that realm in that environment. But like I say, it, as a family activity, I don't see it. I just don't no, see it. Happening. Not at all. I mean, I, I definitely think it would popular with um, certain aspects of the gaming community. Not all of them, because some people like to play with their friends and that sort of stuff. And as you said, Phil, wearing a headset like that is immediately excluding everybody else. It's not you know it's not something where you can combine you know get together and do something. It's it's it's, it's inherently exclusive. Uh, rather than inclusive. So with some gamers, yes, I can see the, the appeal. Certainly if you're playing, you know, first-person shooters wearing the headset could make it, and we, we've seen that and experienced it to a degree it shows, it could make the gaming experience, you know, quite very immersive and, and fun. But for anything else, I really don't see the appeal of it at all. I think that, you know, anyone who thinks this is going to be the next big thing, and VR's been the next big thing for at least the last 20 years, and it's never happened, because ultimately I, I just don't see how it's... I mean, films... I think there's a film that's just been made called Harkle Henry, which is shot entirely from point of view. But other than that, I can't see any films where, you know, that's going to be the way to watch something. And as you said, Phil, watching a film, for example, you know, is is a communal sharing experience quite often. And, and people like to do that. Not, no one's going to sit in the lounge, all them wearing headsets and look like idiots. And if you do use uh, VR, you know, for watching pornography, make damn sure you're on your own in the room. Don't wake up, you know, take it off afterwards upon <laughs> a cup of tea by the side of your bed and realise, you know... <laughs> Um, no, I, I speaking from think, personal experiences. <laughs> I think it's going to bomb with the general public. I don't think most people are going to give a damn. I mean, they didn't want to wear three D glasses. That's true as hell. I'm going to stop. Yeah, on. I, I think I think it's an entertainment platform um, as a as a social medium. I, I don't think it's going to work. Where it will work is in industry. I think it's a huge future for it in industry. Where um, and we've certainly seen demonstrations of this. If you're an architect, you can walk somebody through. Yeah. Uh, your home designs um, if you are an interior designer again you can show people what it's going to look like um, and you know there's applications like that so um, military as well so there'll be applications where you can walk somebody through a battlefield or walk you know there's so many applications that it can be useful in the in the business world and I think you know those are the types of industries as well that will spend the money to develop it and so on I think it's an entertainment thing it's very much a personal use device and it's going to be um i think gaming is where mm. like you say you know point of view uh, first person shooter that kind of thing that's where it makes a lot of sense and and it might get some traction but i've got to say you don't half look like a bloody idiot wearing this stuff and like those guys it, yeah. those guys that were um the one funnily enough the one at ces this year but the ces before where they had the the thing that you walk on so you can yeah. walk in the environment and all. <laughs> yeah. i'm sorry but if you've got that in your house that that that's serious s&m stuff that really is <laughs> we'll see, I, worry, I, I worry about it slightly on the health on the health issues as well because how how user tested is this stuff because if people were struggling with 3d like i did and it made me feel quite unwell at times and surely virtual reality is going to be even worse it's very disorientating yeah. when you're wearing it 
very disorientating. Anyone with motion sickness is going to struggle oh. for a start. I mean, I'd yeah. be curious, you know, things like um, they were talking about with the Formula One, you know, putting a camera on the car and then you wear the headset and you get to see the, the, the lap from the point of view of the driver. Well, they'd struck gold like... if they'd done that with Alonso this weekend, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I can see that being fun for about 10 minutes. You quickly bore it, though, wouldn't you? And think, well, I actually want to see what's going on the rest of the race now because all I can see is what this guy can see. Yeah, but uh, there's, 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 you know, there's, there's applications of that it could work. So if you wanted to go and have a look around the pit lane and actually see what is involved in that and all the rest of it, I mean that that's quite a useful thing. You can walk yourself through, you know, that environment. You want to go and visit Skywalker Ranch? You could go and visit Skywalker Ranch and walk around in in virtual mm. reality and all the rest of it. You want to go and and visit, I don't know. Um, the Playboy Mansion, you could go and do that. All um, uh, the towers have just opened up, a, or about to open up, a ride which is all based on virtual reality, where it takes you to the moon. I think the, the ride actually moves, but what you're seeing is not obviously the outside world. You, you're being transported up into space, so that, that might yeah, be quite yeah. interesting. And, uh, yeah, I'm not saying, uh, and I, I guess uh, what we're really talking about here is: is it going to work in in the home, in an entertainment environment? And apart from gaming, I think we're all saying no. We, we don't see a future for it, and and. I don't think that's what it's designed for anyway. I think it's designed for far wider applications than than just straightforward entertainment. And like I say, I mean, I think industries where it's really going to happen and, and you know, industries where you can go and, and wander around environments or test products and that kind of thing, I think it's that's where it's really suited. And I think that's where the investment will be going forward. At the minute, there's lots of money to spend, it seems, on advertising and, and promotion. And this is why we're seeing it across so much of the internet and, and news channels and all the rest of it at the moment. But... I just don't see it as an entertainment device, sorry. And then again, the other thing is that all three of us are in our 40s and not really the target audience here. No, probably not. No, definitely not. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I was a you know 20-year-old gamer, I'd probably be quite excited about VR. But um, personally, I can give monkeys. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, the three old men here are, are saying it's over before it's begun. It's got its uses, don't get us wrong, and um, I'm sure it will be really popular in some sectors of the market. But in terms of home cinema, don't see it working. And that's basically just from the, the social aspect. I think if they make it more social, Steve, you know, if you could put headsets on and see each other within the virtual place that you are or whatever, then that may be interesting and make it more of a social thing where you could punch hell out of each other or have... You know, <laughs> yeah, like a, a virtual fight club. That might be quite a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that wraps up hardware for this week. We'll be back in a second. Movie reviews without any reviews. Okay, so uh, moving on to movie reviews without any reviews, and uh, films coming up this Friday. We're going to have to rename this section, I think. But anyway, films coming up this Friday. There's a big superhero film. Whoop de doo. What is it, Steve? Yeah, the latest superhero release of the year, one of many, has to be said. Um, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, which is the, uh, I guess, semi sequel to Man of Steel. I mean, obviously, it does follow on from that film, but also incorporates a lot of DC's characters, so we, clearly Batman. But um, also, a lot of uh, quite a few other DC characters are going to be appearing in this film too. And the reason for that is in the subtitle, Dawn of Justice. What they're trying to do is create um, a Justice League movie in the same way that uh, Marvel did with the Avengers. Uh, only difference is that they're trying to do it very quickly. Whereas I feel that Marvel did it in a more organic way and built it over a period of um, six films before they got to the uh, the Avengers. Here they're trying to do it basically in the second film. Um, so it's it feels a little bit rushed, but... Um, whether the film can contain that many characters, who all of whom are effectively going to be new, and, and, and some of them I don't think have ever been, uh, you know, portrayed on the big screen before, and maybe not even in live action before. Some of them in animated versions, but uh, so it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out. But from the trailers that I've seen, uh, it looks interesting in some aspects. Certainly, the first trailer they did was great because it addressed one of the big issues I had with Man of Steel, which was the massive devastation at the end of that film. Um, that's a major plot point in this film. Batman basically feels that Superman, um, you know, with this power, with the powers that he's got and the destruction that was caused by him and General Zod at the end of Man of Steel, that he's a threat, you know, and there's even a 1% chance he could turn bad. Batman feels he has to do something about it. And that's kind of the premise, the setup for this film. Um, and that's, you know, an interesting point because, you know, if you do have a, a, a godlike alien with these incredible powers, you know, what do you do about it? Because if they're good, well, that's fine. But if they suddenly turn bad or something happened or more villains like General Zod suddenly turn up, you know, you, you need to address it. So that's the premise. And obviously into that, they're going to shoehorn other DC characters and uh, I assume other DC villains. So 
I'm interested in seeing it. It's expensive. It's you know, there's a lot riding on this in terms of you know, Warner Brothers. Obviously, not just in terms of this film and the, the cost of making it, but also it's establishing a, a franchise of movies uh, and specifically the Justice League. So if it doesn't work, it doesn't if it doesn't do well, they could have a real problem on their hands. Um, but I think it probably will do well. I think there's enough interest. And it's got an interesting cast too, you know, in terms of obviously Henry Cavill playing Man, um, Superman again, uh, Ben Affleck, who got a lot of lot of grief when he was cast as uh, Batman, but I think uh, he'll make a good Bruce Wayne in the Batman. I think uh, ben, Ben's got Ben's got the chin for it, nothing else. He's got a good solid chin, so good enough reason for him to be. He can't be as bad as Clooney. No, well, we'll come back to that in a minute. I think uh, no, um, I think Ben Affleck's not a, is a good choice ultimately, and he's he's been actually hired. Uh, to direct, write and direct and star in a standalone Batman movie after this film. So um, they're clearly, they're putting the pieces in place now. You've got Suicide Squad coming out later in the year, which again is set in the same universe. And that's got um, um, Jared Leto playing the, the Joker. So there's some really good actors in here, really interesting stuff going on in terms of the way they're structuring it. I think it feels a little bit rushed, but if it's done well and it's entertaining, mainly if it's just entertaining, my, my big problem with so far with the DC movies and I'm really only going, I've only got Man of Steel to go on at this point, but having also seen the trailers for these, this film that's coming up, it's a bit sort of po-faced and serious and dark. Um, you know, comic book movies meant to have a, you know, a few laughs in there and, you know, a bit, bit by their very nature, be more pri- primary colours and bright and colourful. And there's not much of that going on. So it might be a bit dark and, and down. Um, but, uh, you know, as long as it's entertaining, ultimately, I think that'll be fine. Um, and I am, I am genuinely looking forward to Suicide Squad, which looked really good fun in the trailers. And maybe that's some of the aspect that's been missing so far. It's been the fun aspect. And if they have a laugh and, and enjoy themselves, because I mean, Deadpool, you know, that's that's made $750 million worldwide, uh, um, which off a, off a budget of 40. So it's been a huge success, you know, and it was irreverent and it was funny and it was fun. And yes, it was ad- adult in terms of its tone. Um, and that's a good thing, you know, and hopefully that'll influence other comic book films to be more entertaining. Although I don't, what I don't want studios to start doing thing. Oh, we need to go R rated now. Cause that's the way to, you know, big budget, big box offices. Let's make it more adult. Yeah. I would like to see more films being you know, aimed at an adult audience, but don't just do it because Deadpool was a success, you know, do it because there's a reason within the terms of the plot to do that. You know, if it makes sense creatively. Uh, but anyway, so this Friday, um, Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice, and also there's Zootropolis, which for some weird reason in America was called Zootopia, and in here has been retitled Zootropolis. Well, I think Zootopia is a more you know, interesting title. But anyway, it's um, Disney's new animated film um, with a bunch of animated car- animals, um, and apparently, I, I mean, I haven't seen it yet because it hasn't opened. But the early reviews from the states where it's been a big hit are that um, whilst it's obviously aimed at kids and, and is fun for children, it's also full of some quite good uh, adult jokes, you know, uh, jokes aimed at the, at the parents uh, and film references and this sort of stuff. So apparently it's quite good fun. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll probably see both, actually. If, I'll definitely see Batman vs Superman. And if I don't see Zootropolis at the cinema, I might get it on disc because it sounds like it might be fun. Okay, so that's uh, opening this Friday. And Blu-rays that we could buy next week, Steve, is there anything worth my money? Well, there's Bridge of Spies, the Spielberg no, film. Um, that'll be a no then <laughs> I've actually already got it I bought it um, just to complete my Spielberg collection yeah uh, worthy and well acted and obviously um, Mark Rylance won the uh, Oscar for Best Supporting Actor quite recently for his portrayal in this film and he is really good in it I mean the performances are fantastic it's very well made it's very worthy it's just a little bit boring. I, th- I, th- I think once again um, you know the Honest Trailers Oscars um, Honest Trailers thing uh, nailed it again yeah yeah, totally. Uh, okay, so let's move on. Uh, there's been a bit of news this last week um, that Harrison Ford is coming back, not in Star Wars, but as Indiana Jones. Um, I, I am sorry, but is he coming back as a, a, a... I mean, how are they going to play this? Because he's not going to be running and jumping around and doing his own stunts or anything like that. Is he not at 70-whatever it is his, his age these days? It's. He's, I think, apparently... When it goes into production, because it's obviously not being shot just yet, they need to write it first. But when it goes into production, Harrison Ford will be seventy-six, so just not so much on. young Indiana Jones as geriatric Indiana Jones at this point, isn't it? I mean, much as uh, I love Harrison Ford and great though he was in the Force Awakens, I just think, do we really want to see Indiana Jones running around in his late seventies? That's that feels unnecessary, particularly since we've you know. The previous Indiana Jones film was not exactly a great success. Yeah, it was, so this one won't involve George Lucas, and so maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, I think that's maybe a good thing. But again, you know, 
I think it has to be a certain kind of Indiana Jones this time around, doesn't it? I mean, it can't be the whole swashbuckling, crazy stunts. Not him anyway. No. Um, not at that age. Because, like you say, I mean, it just wouldn't work. It, you know, Crystal Skull, you were getting to the point where, yeah, he's looking a bit really old now. And it, and there was a lot of old jokes in there, in, in, the, in the screenplay, and, and obviously that made it to screen as well, about, you know, you're getting on old man and all the rest of it. And, so I mean, they're not going to make the same jokes again, are they? You know, because that that just gets boring. So the way I'd like to see them play it is, it's an Indiana Jones movie, but it's not about Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones. Uh, in terms of a swashbuckling adventure, it's more of a handover movie, or you know, where he plays a role in in a bigger story or a wider plot. And and I think there's plenty for them to work on there. Maybe, although thinking about it, one of the, the really fun things about Raiders of the Lost Ark was clearly, you know, it was it was paying homage to the um, cliffhanging serials of the 30s. And it was set in the 30s. It was set before World War II with Nazis running around and, uh, you know, and, and supernatural stuff going on and archaeological things going on. And it was fantastic fun. And I absolutely love Raiders. I'm not such a big fan of any of the others, to be honest. But I think Raiders absolutely nails it. But if you're going to address the fact that Harrison Ford is now so much older than the character was in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, it means you have to move the timeline on into what the fit was the 50s in, in Crystal Skulls. Now we're talking about what the 60s. You know, is that really the kind of fun period, you know, Austin where you Powers. can run around with Nazis and all this sort of stuff and have that kind of thing going on? You, you can't do that anymore. So, well, it'd uh, you know, it have to be it have to be Cold War, which doesn't really make for interesting, does it? Really, does it? It's no. I mean, well, it didn't work very well in Bridge of Spies. <laughs> no, well, and and you look at Crystal Skull. I mean, some of the stuff that they talked about in there, um, you know, Ray Winston's character and him talking about stuff, and you're thinking, I want you to see that film. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. That film, you know, not only did it did it fail in its you know, as a piece of entertainment, it also gave us a completely new uh, phrase for for a, for something going you know just going completely wrong, which was nuking the fridge. Yeah. When you know <laughs> that nuclear bomb goes off at the yeah. beginning yeah. and he's it, inside it, the fridge. It, they, they explained it. They explained it saying, "Well, it was lead right, uh, lead lined." fridge so he survived he wouldn't have survived the g-forces of that f- yeah the g-forces the shock the uh the, the force so that many other factors oh. attached to that just and the heat the heat yeah, that would have been coming through there it's a, it's a real shame that mythbusters is in the final series and they're not going to cover that because that would be one that i'd want them to do you know could you survive a nuclear blast in a fridge be interesting how they, <laughs> how, how they get the methodology for that one yeah, I mean, that was in the first 10 minutes of the film, wasn't it? So we were like, yeah. okay, this is not going to be well, you, very you good. Ca- you kind of knew it was going to suck as soon as you saw the um, the Prairie Dogs yeah. comedy. Yeah. And it was like, oh, dear. Because, yeah, you went from it. that mountain in the very first film, which was you know, going from the Paramount logo. To, yeah, to the, to the mountain. mountain. That was excellent. And yeah. then we go from a Paramount logo to a Prairie Dog Hill of Dirt. <laughs> okay, I think we've set the bar pretty low for this one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously the reason Disney want to do this is because you know they they bought both Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and they want to get another franchise going because they're not making enough money already off of Star Wars. But or, or the Marvel I don't understand side of why Harrison Ford's doing. It. I suppose chuck enough money at the guy, and I think yeah, fair enough, I'll turn up. I'm not quite sure why Spielberg's doing it though, because I mean he doesn't need to do it. You know, he's got a, he's got some integrity these days. I mean, maybe everyone said Bridge of Spies was so boring, he thought maybe I should do something a bit more entertaining, but. Um, I don't understand why they're doing it. I, I, I guess if they can come up with a good script and a good concept, and and you're right, you said, Phil, maybe get a young, really charismatic young guy actor in to sort of like carry the torch and take over from India. From yeah, India, not, not Shia LaBeouf, please. No, not no, Shia LaBeouf. Um, even he admitted it didn't work out on that film. So um be interesting to see who they choose to play the young version of Harrison Ford in the um, Han Solo movie that's being made um, as well. Because I've seen a shortlist of actors um, none of which I thought looked or sounded anything like Harrison Ford, but uh, I guess you want someone with charisma. That's the, the key aspect, isn't it? Well, well, just think about it, right? If you look at a slightly like a younger Harrison Ford and you can act a little bit, you could absolutely coin it in, couldn't you? There's a career in it almost, isn't oh, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it seems like Harrison Ford's now spending his, his, his sort of retirement years remaking or doing you know sequels to films of his from the past so obviously force awakens in the jones and he's also doing um blade runner 2 as well so yeah, yeah. uh i was wondering what other films harrison ford can make sequels to he he <laughs> is the, he is though even though he is the age that he is he is a man of steel isn't he i mean he, he, just his oh, he's real life that, yeah. his real life stuff compared to the action movies i mean crashing a plane on a golf course and surviving 
I mean, come on. Only Harrison Ford could pull that one off. Didn't he also crash on the golf course to avoid hitting houses or a school or something, wasn't yeah, it? So yeah. he was quite a bit of a genuine real-life hero there, the way that he handled it and then walked away from that crash. It yeah, could only have been better if it was the Millennium Falcon, really. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit sad that he broke his leg getting hit by a door on the Millennium Falcon, though, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. Of it. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, I've got to say, Crystal Skull, probably one of the... I'd, I'd say it's probably one of the worst films of uh, of recent times just because you got such a love i mean I, I hate the prequels but you know at the same time my nephew loves the prequels and it's he's the kind of age for that so i kind of forgive them that but crystal skull is just a, a, a complete and utter waste of everybody's time and money basically yeah. so it goes i don't know on. anyone who likes that film do you no i don't know anybody that does so it, it's certainly for me is one of the worst films i think i've ever seen now interestingly we did last week uh, worthy films and admitted to those that we hadn't seen and, and we worked from a list of a hundred and this time around we're looking at the lists of films that are considered to be the worst ever made and um, how many of them have we seen or admitting to that we have seen and I've got to say I've, I've just started to go through the list I've actually seen one of them from uh, actually I've seen two of them <laughs> I've seen two I thought the very first from, one on the list uh, from uh, the 1950s and that's Glen or Glenda <laughs> And yeah. funnily enough, Plan 9 from Outer Space, which are both um, Ed Wood films. And the reason I handed those out was because of Tim Burton's film, little-known film, actually, and, and I think really underrated film, which was uh, Ed Wood, um, mm. and based on, on the director and his life. And, of course, um, you know, Plan 9 from Outer Space was the last film appearance of Bela Lugosi, and uh, you get to see a bit of his tragic ending in Tim Burton's Ed movie. Would, yeah. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I hinted those two out. Funnily enough, they were on DVD. I was able to find them and uh, and watch them. And uh, Glenn or Glenda, I could have done without. But actually, Plan 9 from Outer Space, it's really entertaining. Uh, I found it really, really... <laughs> in, in, unintentionally. So unintentionally, but really entertaining. Um and and I guess a lot of that was because you got to you got a little bit of the background in Tim Burton's movie. So when you actually went and and hunted out the actual film, so there's a lot of stuff you 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 were already in on the joke kind of angle to it. So um, so that was quite funny. So good for the fifties. I've seen two for the forties. I haven't seen either of those. Thirties. I haven't seen that one either. And just so people can keep up with us, we're using the Wikipedia list of films considered the worst we'll put a link in the uh, podcast forum 1960s let's have a look very quickly going through this i can safely say i've seen none of the 1960s films 1970s i've seen exorcist to the swarm i spit in your grave caliglia yeah so i wish i'd seen an american hippie in israel that would have been good wouldn't it <laughs> There's some classic titles <laughs> bat pussy what the hell bat is that pussy, about? yeah i'm missing out there <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, there's some interesting ones. I spit in your grave. I mean, that that was big back in the video nasty side of things. It was never a great film, but it it was contained within that, wasn't it? So, um, yeah. and the swarm that was uh, that used to be on the TV a, a lot. I've seen that. Some funny stories things. about that film from um, uh, Michael Caine, who starred in it, saying you know, that they obviously <laughs> he said that they because you know, it's about a swarm of bees. And they had all these bees on set, and what they had was a bunch of, like he said, a bunch of, like he, I think he described it as a bunch of wetbacks in a trailer who were there with tweezers pulling the stings out of all these bees. And every now and then they'd miss one, so they were the hot ones you wanted to avoid because you're not really able to get stung otherwise. Um, yeah, it's uh, not a great film, not a great film at all. The, <laughs> the real, the real, the dying right at the very end of that um, 70s disaster movie craze, isn't it? It was like a pretty rubbish one at the end. So let's move on to um, the 1980s in this list. Uh, it seems to be more in the 80s than any other decade. Uh, looking through these, Heaven's Gate, no, Apple, no. Tarzan Ape Man, yes, saw that one. Yes. Oh, there had to be a George Lucas film other than uh, Crystal Skull on here, and that is Howard the Duck. Um, is that George Lucas? I've seen that one. Yeah. That was shocking. Yes, it's yeah. George Lucas production. Yeah. Um, interestingly, they're, they're looking at bringing back Howard the Duck. He's, um, he's um, You do actually see him at the very end of... Um Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. He appears right at <laughs> the very end, um, and I guess as a possible future Howard the Duck movie. I mean, these days with CG, you could do it much better than the original Howard the Duck, which was, you know, a, a little person in, in, with, a, with a very unrealistic mask on. <laughs> he didn't swing it even in 86, that was pushing your yeah. luck. So, uh, further down the list, uh, obviously, we've got Superman, the Quest for Peace. 
I'm not sure if Stinker. I, I'm not sure if I remember that one. Maybe I'm just blocking that out of my memory. Garbage Pail Kids never ever saw that one. Um, no, why it was around though. I've got a funny feeling I have seen Hobgoblins. <laughs> For some strange reason, I think I have seen that one. And again, I think it was um, round about the time of the video nasties and that kind of thing, and uh, trying to search search out these films on on VHS back then. Because what was the other one that was really popular? Um, Critters. You remember Critters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was really popular. Unfortunately, it's not on this list. It really should be. Um, Mac and Me and The Thing. So that's the 1980s out of the way. And I've only seen two of those. Anybody else? Uh, sorry, three of those. I've seen a, a worryingly large number of these films. And I actually own quite a few of them on Blu-ray, which is even more worrying. Really? Yeah, okay. Well, I, I, I've seen... Reefer Madness. It's a lot of these early ones, like you feel like I kind of I saw them that. on TV when they were, you know, there was, per, there used to be a series of, you know, there'd be like a season of films, bad films. So I saw Reefer Madness uh, and I saw Glenn and Glenn, The Robot Monster, The Conqueror, and Plan, Plan 9 from Outer Space, um, all of which are rubbish. The Conqueror is great. That's the one with John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. Um, shot in the Nevada desert where they'd been testing A bombs and almost the entire cast died of cancer afterwards. They've got they're all um, a, a very an unnormally high number of people who worked on that film died of cancer, uh, and they think it's because they were filming in places that were riddled with radiation after the testing, um, and also obviously John Wayne was horribly miscast as Genghis Khan. Uh, Sixties ones I haven't seen any of. I don't think. Seventies uh, like you, I've seen Exodus to the Heretic and the Swarm. I spit on your grave and Caligula. Uh, in the 80s, of Heaven's, I don't actually think Heaven's Gate's a bad film. I'm going to have to take that off the list. I, I think Heaven's Gate's really good. Um, Times on the Eight Man, I watched for Bo Derek, obviously. Mommy Dearest, I've seen. Howard the Duck, yeah. Ishtar, yeah. Superman 4, I actually considered walking out of the cinema and that one, it was so bad. But I do own it on Blu-ray, along with Heaven's Gate and Curricula, uh, and Nexus 2, The Heretic. 90s, I saw Highlander 2 at the cinema, and it is crap. Um, and Showgirls, I've got on Blu-ray. Uh, it's an awful film, but you know, it's camp fun, to be fair. Batman and Robin I've got on Blu-ray, and that is rubbish. Um, I, I went, amazingly, I went, I went to the cinema for that one, you know. I didn't, I didn't see that cinema. I'm glad oh, to say. dear me, oh, yeah. I did. It's a stinker of a film. I, mean, I love yeah. the, Actually, it's worth getting the Blu-ray for Joel Schumacher's commentary track, where he publicly apologises for the film in the beginning <laughs> of the commentary. <laughs> and says, Look, I'm really, really sorry about this. <laughs> And then goes on to explain what happened, where it all went wrong, because it is kind of an absolute train wreck of a film. And he does explain what was happening in terms of, you know, things like you've never heard the word toy-centric before, but they wanted stuff to be toy-centric so they could sell toys off the back of it. But Um, you've got to think, though, the cast list is really quite impressive. You know, you've got George Clooney, Schwarzenegger, Uma Thurman, Mm -hmm. uh, Chris O'Donnell, Mm -hmm. Alicia Silverstone. Silverstone. It's, It's not like it's a bad cast list, really. When you think of them in terms of uh, box office pool, and some of them can actually act as well. Uh, yes, although going through those quotes we were for the beginning of this podcast, um, I remember just how many terrible, terrible one-liners they gave to Schwarzenegger, <laughs> all related to him being Mister Freeze. I've got to say there is a monumental um, absence in film missing from this list for the nineties. Where's Theodore Rex? Yep, it's not here. That that's that's the which which no says if, if these are considered the worst films that. Theodore Rex is actually quite a good film. <laughs> oh, well, I can tell you what, I'd watch Showgirls over Theodore Rex any day of the week and not just for the <laughs> nudity. I, Battlefield I did, I Earth did. I've seen in the 2000s. Have you seen that? Uh, no, I avoided that one like the plague. Uh, Honest, I haven't seen that one. Rancid Aluminium, no, I can't remember that one. Freddie Got Freddy Fingered. Got fingered. <laughs> Tom Green, oh, I remember Tom Green. He didn't last very long, did he? No, good. Uh, Glitter. Maria Carey. Mm. I'm going through this. There's not a lot of them. I thought there'd be more of these that I have seen. Um, and I've seen no. nothing since the 90s of these. Sex, lives, sex lives of the Potato Men. What the? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad to say that I've obviously got a lot more, you know, careful about what I watched in the two in the noughties and the tens. Oh, Catwoman. Oh, I might have seen that. Yeah. I haven't I haven't seen that. Have you seen is that? that Michelle Pfeiffer? Uh, yeah. No. 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 no, 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 no Halle Berry. Berry. Oh no. Well, I wouldn't mind seeing Halle Berry like in a Catwoman outfit. That would be quite nice. She looks like a sort of down-market stripper in her outfit. <laughs> like she should turn up your front door, you know, yeah. for a bachelor party. Yeah. And a lot of them in there I haven't seen. And then looking at 2010s, um, going through the list. And like I say, we'll put the we'll put the link for the list so you can go through this as well. But um, luckily, I haven't seen any of those either. 
Sorry. I have seen, and I only watched it because it was supposed to be so bad, and it is really bad, is Movie 43. Uh, and it's got a huge cast of really big stars. And I, I, I can only assume they blackmailed them into being in the film because there's just no other explanation okay, so for you've some got, of it. You've got Dennis Quaid, Greg Kinnear, Hugh Jackman, yeah. Kate Winslet, uh, Naomi Watts, Anna Faris, Emma Stone, Richard Gere, Uma Thurman. Yeah, See you've got I mean? quite a few, yeah. Yeah, big, big names. And it's awful. It is truly, truly awful. I'm not even going to describe some of it because it's really quite unpleasant and I don't want to you know, offend anyone. But it, it is worth seeing, if only to see just how appallingly bad it is. And nice to see that there's two Adam Sandler films on the list, Jack and Jill, and that's my boy. The last Airbender I have not seen, but apparently has a great line where someone says there's a lot of good benders in the North because um, Airbender is not meant to be uh, homosexual, but um, something to do with some special powers, but uh, infamously has some quite funny lines, unintentionally, I guess, unless you're English. In fact, in America, it wouldn't mean anything, but over here, it made it very funny. Unfortunate title, really. Well, it's, it's kind of like when I used to smoke and we were over in the States and I used to say, I'm just going out for a fag, which seemingly is not the thing to say in the States. <laughs> some, uh... I've, I've got to say, it's not a very good list, this one. Um, I, I think, like you say, I mean, there's some pretty obvious ones that are missing from here, which could possibly have been here, like Theodore Rex. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, Kingdom of the Christmas. Yeah, Christmas Skull. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Skull, I like the sound of that. <laughs> it could only be better, Mark. The sequel the- to Santa Claus versus the Martians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if there's one thing that this uh, list has done is... Uh, I'm not sure if I've got Edward on Blu-ray. I might have to go and hunt Edward out and watch it again because, like, I think it's a utterly it's un- available underrated uh, yeah, film. It's a good film. Really yeah. Leonard Part Six spectacularly failed, partly because there is no Leonard Part One to Five. It was meant to be a joke in the title, but no one got it. Be careful what you call your film. Yeah, but that was the same with what was it? Was it Richard the Third? Madness of King, the Madness of King George was originally Madness of George the Third. That <laughs> they thought yeah. Americans might think there were two other films prior to that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> was it not Henry V as well? No? <laughs> well, they're looking, well, there is a Henry IV though, isn't it? So in that case, that's a valid uh, expectation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as in terms of Shakespeare plays. Anyway, I think on that Shakespearean bombshell, <laughs> and I don't think I was, I don't think at Unusually any point... Unusually <laughs> highbrow ending. <laughs> Far too highbrow for us lot. Um, that's it for the podcast this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. Stay cool, bird boy. And Mark Hodgkinson. Freezing hell, Batman. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You can bookmark AV forums for the latest reviews, news, and video. And of course, leave us those five star ratings on iTunes. We'll read your name out on the show, but only if it's a five star rating. And like I say, um, we're only around for the next few Wednesdays. So from uh, Wednesday the 6th is the last podcast that goes out on a Wednesday. And then from the 11th of April, uh, you get the podcast two days earlier. I think that's a good way of selling it to them, Steve, isn't it? At least that one week it'll be two days earlier. After that, it'll be just every week. (laughs) (laughs) It's an introductory offer. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay. So I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. (laughs) 